Chapter Three of An Earthman on Venus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An Earthman on Venus by Ralph Milne Farley. Chapter Three Out of the Frying Pan. When I had dropped from the airplane into the spider web, the time had been nearly evening. All night, off and on, I struggled, but to no avail. Finally, shortly after daylight, something startled me by falling plop into the net close beside me. Another victim, thought I. Well, at least I should have company. But this other creature was not any more inclined to take its captivity calmly than I had been. It thrashed and struggled violently, until finally it tore a rent in the upper end of my shroud so that I could see out. My companion in misery was an orange and black striped bee about the size of a horse. He was buzzing frantically and slashing about with his sting, while the spider hopped around him with great agility, dodging the thrust of the sting and applying a strand of silk here and there, whenever an opportunity offered. Thus gradually the bee's freedom of motion became less and less, as strand after strand were added to his bonds. But the spider, getting bolder as his captive's struggles diminished, finally misjudged one thrust, and the imprisoned bee, putting all his effort into the stroke, drove his sting home. The spider toppled from the web, and the fight was unexpectedly at an end. And now the bee and I were free, if only we could get free. Of the two of us I had the easier task, for my cocoon had dried during the night and was now no longer sticky, but it was still very tough. Slowly, inch by inch, biting, clawing, tearing, I gradually enlarged the hole near my head, until finally I was able to step out and jump to the ground, which was about ten feet away a drop equivalent to a little less than eight feet on the earth. Not much difference, it is true, but every little bit helped. I now decided to assist my rescuer, the bee, to escape. A rash decision, one would say, and yet the bee seemed to realize that I was helping him, for not once did he strike at me. Picking up a tree branch, I hacked at the cords which bound him, until finally he was able to fly away, trailing a large section of the web after him. As he left I noticed that one of his hind legs was gone from the knee down, and that he bore a particular scar-like mark on the underside of his abdomen. I should know him if ever I were to meet him again. The web had been stretched between two large gray leafless trees of the sort I had observed near the beach but without the red tips to the branches. Nearby was a wood of similar but slightly smaller trees, bordering on a field of thickly matted silver-green grass, very similar in color. In this field were grazing a herd of pale green insects, a little larger than sheep, with long trailing antennae. These creatures swayed from side to side, lifting first one foot after another as they munched the matted grass. On the sides of some of them clung one or two bright red parasites, resembling lobsters in size and appearance, but their green hosts did not seem to mind or even notice them. 
nor did they notice me for that matter as i passed between them across the field on the further side of the field was a road built of concrete resembling in every way such concrete roads as we have on the earth and along it i set out whither i knew not now i had had nothing to eat since i found myself on the sandy beach the previous morning also i had fought two battles on an empty stomach the day was hot and moist my feet were bare as was the rest of me and i felt discouraged and depressed still i trudged along can it be true said i that only yesterday i rejoiced at freedom from the ant-men now i was alone and lost lost on a strange planet oh how i longed for the sight of my late captors better even captivity than this for a while the road ran between silver-green fields then entered a wood on the gaunt gray trees hung a tangle of tropical vines and between the trees grew some kind of small shrub with large heart-shaped leaves on each leaf of which there sat motionless one or more purple grasshoppers about four inches in length in the distance i occasionally caught sight of some strange sort of bird as i thought flitting in tandem pairs from tree to tree a multitude of tiny lizards resembling miniature kangaroos hopped about on the concrete and by the side of the road for a while the strange fauna and flora stimulated my curiosity and kept my mind off my troubles but then i rapidly lost interest in everything my stomach gnawed my knees wobbled my mind began to cloud and from that time on i wondered as in a dream for i knew not how many hours i vaguely remember falling on the roadway and then crawling along for a while silly thoughts obsessed my brain such as wondering whether my tail-light was lit and what made the weather so foggy finally i collapsed utterly and had just strength enough to drag myself off the concrete lest i be run over by some passing car as i lay there in the bushes by the side of the road there came to my nostrils a smell which partially revived me a smell seemingly of griddle cakes and maple syrup opening my eyes again and following my nose i discovered that this pleasant odor emanated from a large bowl-shaped leaf only a few feet away upon dragging myself toward it i discovered that in the bottom of the bowl there was a brown mass looking very much like a stack of wheats covered with some sticky substance but unfortunately this delectable dish was quite obscured by little hopping lizards now much bemired in hopping no more so i reached out my hand to brush them away and instantly the leaf closed upon my arm like a steel trap my brain cleared at once and i began a frantic struggle to extricate my hand but it was too late for with a gentle massaging motion the plant commenced to swallow my arm inch by inch my arm descended into that ravenous maw it was the steady slowness of the procedure that was so nerve-wracking for without a pause my arm disappeared at a rate of about an inch a minute 
I braced my feet against the plant and pulled, but this cut off the circulation in my arm. Then I wiggled my fingers rapidly so as to keep my hand from going to sleep, whereupon the plant swallowed all the faster. The mouth of the plant was closed very much like a clamshell, so just before my shoulder disappeared I braced my body crosswise of the jaws in the hope that this maneuver would prevent the swallowing process from proceeding any further. But the plant merely opened its flexible lips and closed them the other way, taking a firm grip on my chest and just missing getting hold of my right ear. I craned my neck as far as I could to the left and shrieked aloud with terror. Was it for this that I had escaped the ant-men and the spider, to be eaten alive by a plant? The soft jaws now fastened on the back of my head and began gently drawing that in, too. At last only my nose was free. In a minute that, too, would be enveloped, then strangulation and death. At this moment something fell upon me, and I felt the plant quiver and shake. The swallowing ceased. Then the soft lips were torn away from one side of my head, and I heard a familiar rattling sound. A few seconds later the plant went limp, releasing my arm, and I lay upon my back, free once more, gazing upward into the eyes of my old friend and captor. Doggo, doggo, I cried with joy, but he did not seem to hear me. Nevertheless, he picked me up gently in his mandibles and trotted off with me down the road. After about a quarter of a mile, we turned aside into a field, and there was Satan, the other ant-man, standing beside a crumpled airship and the dead body of its pilot. Satan did not seem overjoyed to see me, but Doggo rummaged through the wreckage and finally produced a bowl into which he put some water and some medicine, which revived me greatly. Then he laid me on a pile of grass, covered me with leaves, and stood guard over me as the pink twilight deepened and the night fell. As it began to grow dark, I heard an occasional tinkle like the sound of a Japanese wind-bell, first on one side and then on another. The music gradually increased until it assumed the volume of a fairy orchestra. I had never heard such dainty, bewitching tunefulness in my entire life. Many weeks later I learned that this was the song of the large purple grasshoppers I had seen, but even the knowledge of its source has never robbed the sound of its sweet mystery for me. The fading silver radiance of the sky shed a moon-like light over all below. A faint breeze sprang up, gently fanning the moist, fragrant hothouse air against my cheeks. The foliage around us waved like a sea of silver grain, and the tune of the elfin melody quickly lulled me into a soft and dreamless sleep, secure in the confidence that a faithful friend was watching near. The next morning I was awakened by Doggo stripping off my leafly coverlet. Satan was not to be seen, but grazing near us were some more of those peculiar large green insects with the long trailing antenna which I had seen in my flight from the spider-web. 
As I sat up, Doggo presented me with a bowl of pale green liquid. But I was at a loss to know what to do with it. Was I supposed to wash in it, or drink it, or rub it on my hair? My friend solved the question by lifting it to my mouth. So I drank, and found the taste sweetish and agreeable. All morning we stayed by the wrecked machine, apparently waiting for something. Satan did not show up. Around noon Doggo took the bowl and approached one of the green beasts grazing near. I followed with interest. Two horns projected inward from the tail of the beast, one of which Doggo proceeded to stroke with his paw, and to my surprise a green liquid spouted from the animal, quickly filling the bowl. So that is where my breakfast had come from. Green milk from green cows. Strange. And yet how much more logical than on earth, where a red cow eats green grass under a blue sky and produces white milk, from which we get yellow butter. Shortly after lunch I heard the hum of a motor, and presently Satan landed near us with a new plane. This strange plane of the ant-men stopped abruptly, hovered for a moment, and then settled just where it was like a helicopter. Doggo carried me aboard, and we started, Satan at the levers and Doggo standing guard over me. But whether this was to protect me from Satan or to keep me from falling out again I could not say. We cruised along for several hours over much the same sort of country as I had seen before, except that we crossed several rivers and once a small lake. At last the ship hovered and landed on top of what seemed to be a helter-skelter pile of exaggerated toy building blocks, exactly in keeping with the size of the ants. As far as the eye could see on all sides, these blocks were heaped. They resembled a group of Pueblo Indian dwellings. Doggo and the fierce ant-man, whom I called Satan, now picked me up in their jaws, the former gently and the latter not so gently, and carried me out of the airplane and down an inclined runway into the interior of the edifice. The passage was long, narrow, dark, and winding, but presently we emerged into a room about thirty feet square by ten feet high, lighted by narrow windows opening toward the western sky. That is, I call it western, for it was in this direction that the sky turned pink at eventide. In this room I was laid on the floor. The unpleasant ant-man departed, and Doggo placed himself on guard in the doorway. Presently two strange ant-men entered, carrying a couch, which they set down in one corner of the room. Then they walked several times around me, viewing me from all sides with evident interest, until, at a stiffening and quivering of Doggo's antenna, they hurriedly left the room. I noticed that Doggo no longer carried the green weapon, which seemed strange, as he was evidently on guard. Then I fell to wondering about the couch. It was a simple affair, and yet quite evidently intended for a bed, upholstered with some kind of dark blue cloth at that. What need have the ants of a bed? I mused. Certainly they cannot lie down, and even if they could, such a couch as this would be of little use to one of them, for this is only a man-sized couch, whereas these ants are about ten feet in length. My perplexity was tinged with a hope that there might be human beings here. 
my perplexity and my hope were both increased by the return of one of the ants who had brought the couch this time bearing a sleeveless shirt or toga of white matted material like very thin silk felt reaching about to my knees with a grecian wave design in light blue around the bottom edge and around the neck and armholes but what increased my perplexity still further and at the same time destroyed most of my hope was the presence of two vertical slits with the same blue trimming in the upper part of the back the two ant men watched with great interest while i put this toga on and were evidently pleased to find that i knew how to do so the messenger ant then withdrew and presently returned with a bowl of green milk which i drank as usual by this time it had become quite dark outside but the room still remained light due to two long glass bulbs set in the ceiling and containing some sort of incandescent substance at the time i little guessed what a part those bulbs would come to play in my life they resembled the fluorescent lamps familiar on earth these lamps showed that the inhabitants of this planet were well advanced in electrical engineering was it not strange then that they had not developed radio and communicated with the earth and yet not so strange either when one considers that they had no sense of hearing dismissing these thoughts from my mind i lay down on the couch then doggo was relieved as sentinel by a new ant-man who carefully and inquisitively inspected me but from a safe distance this guard too was without any green weapon finally the two lights went out and i slept my last thoughts being to wonder what was in store for me and what was the significance of the couch and the strange blue and white article of clothing end of chapter three